Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the new podcast, Politics by Faith. My name is Mike Slater. Super grateful you're here. If you're new to us, let me give you the quick premise here. If you've ever uh, looked at the top story of the day and you've felt anxious or stressed, so have I, and so has everyone I know, and this is not a good way to live life. If you can't sleep because the stress of the world is making your mind spin as soon as you put your head on the pillow, then you're not going to be able to think clearly the next day or have influence over the things that are in your control. So the goal here is to take the top story of the moment and then give you some biblical and or historical perspective, which will bring you peace. Ecclesiastes 1.9, there's nothing new under the sun. None of this is new. It's all been done before. And that alone gives me the encouragement to fight on. If you want to know more about the genesis and the premise of what we're doing, you can go back to the very first episode. But if you don't, I think it will all make sense uh, in today's episode as well. We will not grow weary. We will not lose heart. Politics by faith. It's a play on Hebrews 11 and 12. The men and women of God were made strong out of weakness, and we will too. So the story of the day. In Los Angeles, Los Angeles High School, four high school students took what they thought were Percocet pills in the school bathroom, and the pills had fentanyl in them. A 15-year-old girl died. Three more were found overdosing in a nearby park. In this same high school, six other students overdosed in the same park within the three weeks prior. We could, unfortunately, spend hours talking about drug overdoses and fentanyl deaths across the country. Just a little perspective of the number of people who have died from fentanyl uh, in Afghanistan. American service members in Afghanistan, 2,400 deaths. Every year, 24,000 people dying from cocaine overdose. 32,000 dying from meth overdoses. There were 24,000 murders in America last year. But none of those keep up with fentanyl. 82,000 people died from fentanyl overdose last year. I mean, that's three times as many people died from fentanyl than were murdered. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It's 50 times stronger than heroin, 100 times stronger than morphine. And it's not just junkies downtown who are dying. It's everyone. It's people with back pain. And they tell their neighbor, and their neighbor's like, oh, I got a pill for that. Here, here, take, uh, take, they take this uh, painkiller. And it has fentanyl in it. And the guy dies. It's the high schooler who takes the fake Percocet pill in the school bat, the 15-year-old girl. It's so prevalent. There's this push to have Narcan, right? Narcan, you give it to someone who's overdosing and and it saves their life, hopefully. There's a push to have Narcan in every school and for people just to carry it around with them wherever they go. We are killing ourselves. 
We're killing ourselves like never before. Now, when we talk about drugs or addiction, there's a million different angles we could take here. So I want to be clear about the, the focus of today's episode because there's so much we could be doing and I don't want to get all mixed up here. And hopefully over time we can touch on all the different angles. But today I want to focus on, because of that particular story at that high school in Los Angeles, which is disturbing me so much. Because of that, I want to focus on why 15-year-old girls are taking painkillers. Now, it's not just kids. There was an NPR headline the other day. This is the headline. Thousands of moms are microdosing with mushrooms to ease the stress of parenting. <laughs> what? Microdosing with mushrooms? There's the, the rise of the wine mom. This is a celebration of moms drinking a glass of wine at night, which turns into two and then four and and not so much at night. We'll start at four o'clock and then we'll start at noon. And well, 2017, the number of women drinking four or more drinks of alcohol a day increased 58%. That was before COVID. So there's this whole mommy wine culture. It's like Facebook groups, moms who need wine. There's wine glasses that say, mommy sippy cup on this throw pillows. Mama needs some wine or whatever. Right? And you may think it's cute. But we probably shouldn't be sending the message that wine is a healthy way to cope with motherhood. And it's the same message we send to kids. If all you need to fix the difficulties of being a mom is a $12 bottle of wine, then the best way to cope with being a kid is to take this painkiller. And I hear people you know, casually just brush this off like, like drinking or casual drugs, they brush it off as, oh, I'm just taking the edge off. So like, no, the edge is good. You want the edge. The edge is essential. The edge is what makes you you. The edge is what makes you sharp. You want more edge. You don't want to be taking the edge off. Self-medication is a problem. And now on, on top of that already, to make matters worse, a lot of these drugs that people are taking are laced with fentanyl. And do you know where this fentanyl is coming from, by the way? You know, you know where the chemicals to make fentanyl, you know where they're coming from? Of all places, not just China, but a little place called Wuhan. Have you heard of it? Have you ever heard of Wuhan, China? Well, that's where the fentanyl chemicals are coming from. And they're shipped to the cartels in Mexico who throw the fentanyl into pills that look like prescription drugs. So you got Jorge in the jungles of Mexico making these pills by hand. And who knows if your fake Percocet that ends up at a Los Angeles high school has just two pieces of rice amount of fentanyl. That's enough to kill you like that. But again, I want to focus on the root of taking painkillers, particularly young people. And they're like, like, Maybe it's one thing for a kid to take a drug to party. But it's another to take a drug to kill pain. You're 15. So this isn't even just I want to have a good time. There's, there's something deeper in our culture that we need to address here. So what is really going on? I hate to say I, I hate to say it. But before I tell you the word... By the end of this podcast, 
And this is going to be a shorter one, I think. I promise you, you're going to feel better. I know like I'm already kind of bummed out here. We're only six or seven minutes in. And that's the opposite of our goal is to get bummed out. But I think in order to bounce back to a place of hope, I think we really need to lean into the, the truth. So, so what's at the root of a country full of people numbing out of life? In a word, despair. June of this year, 41% of adults said they experienced symptoms of anxiety, depression, trauma, and stress. But here's the number that gets me the most. 25% of people, 18 to 24, contemplated suicide. If I asked you what percentage of 18 to 24-year-olds have contemplated suicide, I would guess like, like zero, like almost none. Like, what do you mean? like you're in the prime of your life. You're 18 to 24, what are you? 25%? Wow. This despair, it's all around us. Despair it literally means uh, down from hope. That's what the root, that's, root of that means, down from hope. So hope is up here, and you're down from it, very far away. And the dictionary from 1897, which is a way better dictionary than the dictionary today, uh, the, the definition says, despair naturally destroys courage, and stops all effort. So where does this despair come from? Well, there is no God in our culture anymore. There's nothing transcendent. There's nothing greater than you. It, it's a part of a, a larger cultural thing that's happening today called the flattening. Have you ever heard of this? The flattening. The flattening is everything is the same. Everything is equally good as determined by you and you alone. You can literally see this phenomenon. So in every city in the country, every apartment complex looks the exact same. It's blocky, bright colors, random tiny balconies jutting out that no one ever uses, windows of all different sizes to break up the monotony, but the randomness of it hurts your eyes and your soul. So listen, don't get me started in architecture. It's one of my things, but all the buildings that we build are very ugly, right? And, and they're all the same, right? Every city, every town has the same road. It's the same commercial road with the same big box stores that all look the same. For me, it's Carmel Mountain Road, but you have one. It's, it's, you got your Best Buy, you get off the highway, there's your Best Buy, there's your Olive Garden, your McDonald's, your Starbucks. It's a Chipotle, a Krispy Kreme, a mattress store. Maybe at the end of the road is a Home Depot. There's a Dairy Queen. Throw in a, a spirit Halloween for these few months and the, in, the, in the one store that went out of business. And it's all next to a Cricket Wireless and a UPS store, whatever. But they all look the same. It's a flattening. Housing developments, they all look the same. In any development, every house is the same. Maybe there's three different styles you can choose from. And then every development looks the same. All the developments all look the same. It's a flattening. You see it in Cars, all the cars now look the exact same. Look at cars from the 70s. They were all wildly different. And now all the cars are the exact same. Even the colors of cars. As recent as 1995, 40% of cars were black, white, or gray. 40% of cars were black, white, or gray. Today, what number of, what percentage of cars do you think are black, white, or gray? I'll tell you what, if you're driving right now, look around. Look around, look at the cars all around you. I, I told this to my wife the other day. There were 15 cars on the highway, just around us. We're driving to church, there are 15 cars around us. All of them were white, gray, or black, except for one. There was one red car. 
And that was it. We were driving in a white Honda Odyssey, by the way. 80% of cars, 80% of cars are black, white, or gray. So even as you're driving on the highway, the cars are more colorless than ever before. The flattening. Now, you may argue that these things don't really matter. That's fine. I think beauty matters, but whatever. We'll save that for another episode. Where we need to agree is the flattening of values. There's a very popular cartoonist. Her name is Lainey Molnar. You've probably seen her cartoons online. She is a feminist who really speaks strongly to unhappy, single, childless women in their 30s. And unfortunately, she has a very big audience. And she doesn't mean to, but she speaks to this flattening of, not architecture and and car design, but the flattening of meaning. And this is where our culture has decided that everything in society is exactly as valuable, meaningful, and important as everything else in society. It's all the same. It would be like you saying the standalone ugly Starbucks is just as beautiful as the White House. (laughs) And you're like, well, no. Like the White House is definitely more, like a more beautiful building than the Starbucks. Like what, it's just objectively more beautiful than the other. But these people out there who are part of the flattening, they would tell you, no, 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 that Starbucks is just as beautiful as the White House. Or the Starbucks is beautiful and the White House, the architecture of the White House is racist or something, right? So they would lift up the Starbucks and tear down the White House. That's just a visual example, but it's a problem, even worse when it's done about morals and the meaning of life. Let me quote uh, this guy on Twitter called Vocal Distance talking about the flattening. He says, nothing is objectively better, more desirable, superior, greater, or more excellent than any other thing. Everything from fashion choices, lifestyle choices, to relationship decisions is only valuable or good as a matter of individual opinion, not as a matter of fact. The idea that some things are considered to be better, greater, superior, excellent, important, or more meaningful is bulldozed and flattened. And everything is placed on a flattened out cultural plane where everything has the exact same social status as every other thing. So in a series of her cartoons, she's, uh, she depicts women in various uh, situations of life. And so one woman is single and one is married. One uh, has kids, one doesn't have kids. Uh, one took a pregnancy test and it's positive. One took a pregnancy test and it's negative. One is sexually pure and one is promiscuous. And she puts them as all equally valuable. So the problem with this is in our postmodern world, nothing has any inherent meaning anymore. Think about it. If everything is the same, if everything is flattened out, bulldozed into a straight line, then nothing can be seen as objectively good, beautiful, outstanding, exceptional, or excellent. And there's no longer any transcendent value in anything. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. 
We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Paul says whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Great. But that also implies that there are, in fact, things that are false dishonorable, wrong, impure, ugly, deplorable, bad, and worthy of condemnation. But in a flattened world, not only are those bad things lifted up, but the transcendent great things are torn down. And it's all flat. And I don't know what's worse, honestly. I don't know if it's worse to have the bad things lifted up as good or to have the objectively great things bulldozed and flattened out and torn down to merely, you know, whatever. I think that one's worse, actually, because that leads to nihilism. Nothing matters. If there's nothing good that people can orient their lives to, then life becomes just this big subjective preference. And, And that leads to despair. It must. And kids today, they have, I'm going back to this high schooler taking a Percocet pill. Uh, kids have nothing to aim for. Why, why, why would you aim at anything? Because nothing is good. There's nothing good. There's nothing transcendent. There's nothing bigger than you. So who cares? If there's nothing good, there's nothing to aim for. Nothing matters. So why even shoot? And I think that leads to spiritual and emotional despair. So why not take this pill? Make the pain go away. Let's lament for a minute. I promise I'm going to bring it around, but we, we got to lament. We have to. It's important. I wish there were more joy in our world today. It's very troubling to think of kids being depressed and hopeless. How, how will they strive to any great things? Why would they? What's the point? We're all just here randomly anyway. There's no creator. We somehow just got here from nothing. We evolved from nothing into a fish, into a frog, into a bird and a monkey, and then you somehow, right? So saying it's all random, which is what the evolutionists say, and which most people believe is the smart thing to believe, to say it's all random to me is the same as saying it's all meaningless. Now listen, maybe you can find some super intellectual atheist who can find some meaning in randomness, but for the vast majority of children who have been raised in this godless soup, they've been left with nothing to hope for. Now, when the economy was doing okay, they could at least falsely hope in some material thing. But now even the false god of materialism is letting them down. So there's nothing. 
And I wish that wasn't the case. What does that mean for them? What does that mean for our country? All right. This is a downer. I'm, I don't want to be a downer anymore. <laughs> Especially a downer if you know someone who's in the middle of this personally. It's all very sad. But let's, let's enough of this. Let's bring in some perspective, then we'll, we'll bring in some hope, right? So I have heard from, I've talked to personally, many Holocaust survivors who have talked about the importance of not giving up hope. Ali Wiesel in his Nobel Prize winning speech about the importance of memory, right? He talked about how memory helps keep alive the past and hope summons the future. He said, man cannot live without hope, says a Holocaust survivor. There's another Holocaust survivor, Edith Eager. She came to a very stoic conclusion. She said, I'm reminded now of what I learned those many years ago in Auschwitz. Though we can't change the external conditions that limit oppress, or frighten us, we can change our response. This ability to choose how we respond to whatever life throws our way is the basis of our freedom. She says, I thought my freedom would begin the moment the war ended and the death camps were liberated. I did not know that the worst prison was not the one the Nazis put me in, but the one I built for myself in the decades after the war. In Auschwitz, when hopelessness overwhelmed me, I think of what my mother had told me in the dark, crowded cattle car on our way to the prison. She said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away what you have put in your mind. It's true. She kept telling herself this was temporary. And if this is temporary, then it can be survived. This is ancient wisdom. Epictetus, Greek philosopher, year 100 or so. He said the chief task in life, the chief task is simply this, to identify and separate matters so that I can say clearly to myself, which are externals not under my control and which do I have the choices where I actually have control? Where then do I look for good and evil? Not to uncontrollable externals, but within myself to the choices that are my own. And it's the old serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I talked to a survivor of the Bataan Death March, Lester Tenney. He wrote a book called My Hitch in Hell. It was 1942. Japanese soldiers marched 80,000 American and Filipino POWs from one death camp to another, 65 miles away. Of the 80,000, about 20,000 died along the way. They were dying of thirst, among other things. And there'd be water in a ditch along the side of the road. What do you do? Do you go drink it? Well, if you go drink it and they see you, they shoot you, you're dead. If you successfully drink the water, well, you'll probably die of dysentery. So what do you do? But Lester said he could tell who was going to die as they were marching. He said if he gave up hope, You'd be dead before the sun went down. I'm reminded of this line from Paul, 2 Corinthians 1.9. He said, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Wow. Our hearts felt the sentence of death. Why? He says, uh, well, we experienced troubles in the providence of Asia. <laughs> troubles. That's one way to put it. Paul was beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked three times, starving, thirsty, cold, naked, Here's the sentence I want to focus on and see if you can relate. 
He says we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. There's three parts to that sentence. First, we were under great pressure. I like the translation, we were pressed. That imagery of being pressed, it's the same word that would be used to describe something that's overloaded, be like a, a wagon uh, filled with so much stuff that it's, it's pressed down on the ground and it can't even move. Maybe you can relate to that feeling. And how, how much were they pressed? They were pr pressed far beyond our ability to endure. Maybe a more direct translation is out of measure. We were pressed out of measure, beyond our strength. We were crushed and it crushed his spirit to the point where he says we despaired of life itself. I said he was stoned a second ago. Let me, let me, let's not skip over what it means to be stoned. Um, he was in Lystra. This is in Acts 14, 19. Lystra is in modern day Turkey. And they, the people threw stones at him until they thought he was dead. Right? This wasn't just like, oh, we're going to throw, like, there he is, throw a stone. And they like maybe miss and he runs away. No, they, they thought he was dead. People are still stoned in places around the world today. They're often buried up to their chest and then people throw rocks at their head until they die. And Luke says they, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. And on top of all that, he had a thorn in his flesh. So his body and his mind and soul were in despair, crushed down, pressed beyond measure to the point where we despaired even of life. Why was all of it getting to Paul? Well, he had a terrible disease, Paul did. His disease is the same disease we have as well. It's our tendency to trust in ourselves. And if Paul trusted in himself, I mean, Paul's as humble as they come. He said, whatever was gained to me, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He said, more than that, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. If he, that guy, if he fell for the trap of self-reliance, well, then how often do we? Now, why do I bring this up? Well, the flattening that I was speaking of earlier, because we were designed to worship God, if we don't worship him, we will worship something. And the closest thing to worship is ourselves. We worship the self and that will never work. And then people are left with nothing else to hope in, hence the despair. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 1.9. Paul says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. Why? Why did this happen? That we might not rely on ourselves, not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What is in your control is relying on God and having your hope in him. Why him? Because he raises the dead. He's powerful. He's more powerful than you. That's the, that was the theme of the last episode about Hurricane Ian. God is very powerful, more than the behemoth and the Leviathan and the hurricane. Nothing is yours and you're not in charge. So Paul received the sentence of death. That's his despair. But why? So that he could learn again to not rely on himself. Oh, the world is telling you the opposite. The world is telling you that you're the only person you can rely on. You do you, you be you, you do whatever you want. You're amazing, you're strong, you're powerful, you're a girl boss, you're a queen, you're fierce. But the truth is the more you rely on yourself, the more you grin and try to hang on, the more despair you'll feel. So I'm telling you, just give up, <laughs> just give up. 
Oh, the world says, never give up. I'm telling you, give up. Realize you can't do it. Realize, accept how weak you are. And only then will you realize that Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 12. That's why Paul said in the end, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight. I delight in weaknesses, in insults. I delight, I delight in insults. I delight in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, the world says you are strong and then you boast about it and then you fail and then you're full of despair. The Bible says you should boast about your weaknesses because only then are you strong. Stop relying on yourself. It will only lead to more despair. I'll wrap it up here. What do we think about? What what should we be meditating on? The first step of the 12-step program in AA is we admit that we are powerless over alcohol. You're powerless. It's it's admitting you're weak, admitting you have a problem, and nothing can change until you finish step one. But what's true for the alcoholic is true for all of us with our entire lives. We think we're strong enough to do it on our own. Are you kidding me? Feel the liberating freedom of knowing you can't. Feel the liberating freedom of admitting you can't. When you think you can do it on your own and you can't, you'll feel despair. And the more we sell this lie that you can do it on your own, then the more people try and the more they fail and then the more despair they feel at their failure. And the more despair people feel, the more hopeless people feel and the more they're willing to take a painkiller to numb it all away. And now the more likely they are to do that, the greater their chances they'll be killed by some chemicals from Wuhan mixed together by a cartel in Mexico, in a high school in Los Angeles, or in your town. I don't want that anymore. So what do we do? Boast in our weakness. Boast in our weaknesses. The opposite of what the world tells you to do. The world tells you to boast in your strength. And the Bible tells you to boast in your weakness. If you boast in your weakness to glorify God, if we do that, then when people realize how weak they are, they won't despair. They'll put their hope then in something bigger than them. And that leads to joy. I'll end with 1 Peter 5.5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that At the proper time, he may exalt you. That's it. Be humble. Boast in your weakness so that he may lift you up, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I thought it'd be a short one. It wasn't. I think it's our longest. Uh, MikeSlater.Locals.com is the website. MikeSlater.Locals.com. Thank you for subscribing, leaving a five-star review. Incredibly grateful. And I hope you will join us for our next episode as well. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.